Welcome to SEOconspiracy.com. Speaking of conspiracy, let's enter the matrix. Is Rangbrain ruling Google? Is artificial intelligence all over in the world of search and Google in particular? Again, back in the podcast, Mr. Bill Slowski, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, Bill. Hello, how are you today? I'm wonderful. And yourself? Good, good. Uh, ready to... Uh... And again, we have a little bit of different short hair, long hair, long beard, because there was a little bit of a mixing up in the way we uh, scheduled and we had to re, re, uh, rerun, uh, reshoot a couple of episodes. But the important part is today, a major, major, major block or chunk of the history of search, Google SEO, because once they decided to go this way, and they had to go this way, there is no going back. It, it will, well, the world <laughs> changed. Everything is pretty much uh, what they call artificial intelligence nowadays. So just to, to begin with a little bit of controversy, mm -hmm. what is your opinion on, on this uh, concept of artificial intelligence? I'm not quite sure what's so artificial about it. I do like, I do like that they're uh, trying to mimic human intelligence. But it sort of reminds me of natural language processing, which is supposed to uh, emulate how people talk and ask questions and think. But the focus of natural language processing is on a computer understanding humans as as opposed to humans understanding computers. Mm, interesting how you put it. Yeah, my problem is more with the world, the word intelligence, because people think it makes the machine is smart, like Sky, Skynet, Terminator. <laughs> and I, 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 it sounds more like a marketing fluff term than really what it is. So I've been listening to podcasts on artificial intelligence. There's one guy, Lex Freeman, who Friedman, who does a podcast. He interviews lots of people from places like DeepMind or mm -hmm. Google or, or some other places. And uh, it's, it's interesting seeing how he talks about topics such as computers. Can, do computers remember things? Do computers dream? Yeah, wow. <laughs> well, did you ever feel that your machine, computer, camera, car was haunted? <laughs> it was like it was possessed. I can't. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit afraid afraid of the Internet of Things, where every device you have, your refrigerator, your oven, so on, has mm. their own voice and their own interface for you to talk to it mm -hmm. and question it. And you can ask your refrigerator, what was that recipe I cooked last week? Mm. To all the ingredients. True. <laughs> uh, let, to, to, to start this conversation, and we have a lot to cover, so right. bear with us. Because I couldn't 
I couldn't take away any of those tabs that any any of those uh, articles that you wrote. But to start with, uh, what is um, so difficult for machine to, why is it so difficult for machine to imitate, quote unquote, the human brain? What's the challenge here? So part of the challenge is uh, understanding and remembering what the particular uh, idiosyncrasies that a person might have, what preferences they have, what affinities they have, uh, what's important to them, mm. why they have a need to search and to understand, what their informational needs are and how well a computer might be able to meet those needs. Mm. And, you know, in every conversation you have give and take, you have uh, one person asking questions and the other person answering them. And, and it turns about, it, it's uh, an interaction. There's uh, a nuance. Can a, can a computer yeah. engage in that type of conversation where it's not just giving, 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 but sometimes taking? Sometimes it's asking, uh, what would you prefer to see? What would you rather, what are, what's important to you? Yes, 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 yes. And double yes and triple yes. The nuance, the, the, and this also, when I started to look at vocal search voice, yeah, it seems like it was one of the big issue there, the, the nuance in, in when you speak and you say things, uh, uh, it's difficult for machine to understand this uh, this gray area. Yeah, zero one. Yes, no. That's that's how a machine breaks down the information at, at the core. So, so Google just about that. Google looks at certain things that we don't even think about consider sometimes. Uh, they updated a patent this past week, uh, which is on speech and, and spoken searches, where they're trying to understand accents mm. and in some systems an accent could be considered noise that could be filtered out that that it it makes it harder for a computer to understand what a person's saying but under this patent they said okay this is extra information that we could use if we understand what the where the person's accent is from we can give them more information that's very interesting because you have a well, the French accent. Everybody loves it. But let, let's let's take another uh, Portuguese, okay? So, so if you're French, you're searching from New Jersey. Mm. Google might think to itself, if it could think to itself, if we're getting to that point of artificial intelligence, it might think to itself, okay, what can I tell this person about that might appeal to them as somebody who is obviously French. Mm -mm. That's interesting. Uh, but it doesn't have this, this opinion of saying, oh, the, the French accent is, is prettier or sounds better than the Portuguese accent. And even between the Portuguese from Portugal and Portuguese from Brazil, yeah. people love the Portuguese from Brazil and don't like as much the sound of Portuguese from Portugal. 
uh, that's an opinion. That's why humans have. But the machine does not have any opinion. Or maybe they do. <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> but to start off with um, one of your, well, not early, to 2016. Yeah. Let me, let me read the introduction. So understanding systems and the title is Google Machine Learning. When I was in high school, one of the required classes I had to take was a shop class. I had been taking mostly what the school called enriched courses or what were mostly academic classes that featured primarily reading, writing, and arithmetic. A shop class had more of a trade focus. And you were surprised with this first uh, shop class and the instructor talked about systems. Said, what is it? What is a system? And uh, what was your first, uh, can you please continue that story about <laughs> how you learn le early so, on and the link so with the Google patent? Our first task in that class was to build an electric motor. And, and uh, the shop teacher said, okay, when we, when we take apart a car, when we look at its different features, we look at the systems that are involved in how that car operates. There are systems that involve electricity and electrical motors. There are parts that involve gasoline and, and gasoline motors. Mm. And, and these are different things that work in different ways. And understanding how all these systems work together to create some type of larger organic structure uh, is important. And, and if you can break uh, the operation of something down into the systems that run behind it, you get a better sense of how it operates, how it works, how it uh, could be improved possibly. Mm. But it is about improvement. That's the whole thing. You, that's the key word here. <laughs> and not the key word, the key word or the improvement. Uh, because the, the move to, and every single, it's not only Google, every single search engine today is pretty much run by uh, machine learning and so on. Uh, and even SEO companies, you remember how, how um, like Moz, Majestic, uh, I don't remember how they were called before, but now it's Authoritas. Was something yeah. at you in England? Those those guys, uh, Lawrence O'Toole and uh, in uh, ah, Twickenham. Oh, forgot. But everybody, yeah, it was the move. Okay, let's get rid of SEO and we hold data companies. We it it was not just Google; it was the entire industry moved into um, this uh, world of artificial intelligence, uh, quote unquote. Because you have you have the concept of artificial intelligence, intelligence, and then you have the real uh, mechanics of it all, which is more into what's called machine learning and deep learning. Um, so the first, the first, um, the first key here is Google had to. You link it to uh, in your in your article. Uh, I'll show I'll show the article. You link from Wired says how 
Google is remaking itself as a machine learning first company. Right. Why, why was it mandatory? Why was there no way to keep on going with the old uh, system? Be because improvement had to go through this type of algorithms or there was no way to scale it up otherwise? Scalability is one issue. Uh, there's a, and Google shown us with its evolution from uh, over time, uh, things like the Google directory, where they, they took uh, DMOZ and they reorganized the order of things listed in the directory by page rank. Mm. Uh, and, and that was their improvement over, they cloned DMOZ, which was allowable under DMOZ's uh, uh, terms of service. Uh, but organizing them in a unique way by page rank was, was their improvement upon it. And, and at one point they said, okay, so we're never adding to this. We're never updating it. We're never adding new sites. We're, we're limited by humans mm -hmm. and their ability to scale. Uh, so let's let's uh, stop doing this directory. Uh, they they are sort of doing the same thing with the knowledge graph. So the knowledge graph they're they're using uh, they use Freebase as a baseline for all the entities that they knew about, and they they uh, saw that people using uh, volunteers at Wikidata were really building much quicker than the people at Freebase were. And they, they migrated to Wikidata from Freebase. But now they're coming out with patents that talk about how they can extract entity information directly from websites and from news sites. And if they can do that well, they don't need to rely as much upon humans to do it and volunteers. People, people are publishing news articles every day, adding new information, new knowledge about entities and about things that we know about. They don't quite need to have human beings type something in. Mm -hmm. When you have a knowledge graph that doesn't update because somebody new got elected or somebody uh, passed away, mm. it's maybe easier if if a machine could do that, then relying upon a human to try to do it and try to keep up. Especially when you have some of those tasks that humans uh, are reluctant to uh, to do, or we won't get into the debate of, of is machine uh, machine I mean artificial intelligence taking away jobs from from humans and so on. Uh, right. That's that's not the the debate today, but still. Um, feels like in the mind of people, oh, you have trucks that will drive themselves. Yeah, sure. But uh, machine learning can replace a doctor, especially x-ray. The yeah. success rate of a machine analyzing an x-ray is way higher than any PhD, any, like by far. Uh, so it, it's not only about very low low paid job or, or simple task it's just sometimes the machine is uh, I, would, I was going to say better no it, it's, it makes more sense I guess to yeah. 
to use algorithms than humans for specific uh, reasons and specific tasks. And definitely in the world of search, especially when you want to, <laughs> well, try to follow the growth uh, and the speed and the amplitude of, of the web, which I don't think people uh, realize. We did a, I don't think it was published yet, but we, we have that video, um, how big is the web with Dixon Jones? Because it's a yeah. good question, you know? How big is, how big is the web? How big is it? Uh, really, like, do you have a clue? How do you measure it, by the way? How do you even start by, <laughs> what, how do you want to, how do you, links, pages, uh, uh, wait? <laughs> I don't know. It's big. <laughs> anyway, it's big. So um, that that directory was killed because uh, um, it could not scale. It could not scale. Well, right. on the other hand, Wikipedia survived, and it will. So two different concepts. A directory, why bother with, with humans, basically? But encyclopedia? As far as today, <laughs> humans are still relevant. Maybe in the near future, maybe that will change, and we'll talk about it in a little bit with uh, the author rank and so on. Because obviously, um, everybody's entitled to an opinion, but not opinions are equal. <laughs> now, next question is, Google decided to... Um, to start, well, first you have, uh, we'll go into the different algorithms, but what was the first uh, challenge they had to face when they decided to figure out uh, who was in relation to what and why and how to organize this? Uh, basically, my, my question is, how did they go from a lab, like a concept in the lab, to upscale, to scale it up to, to production? To Google, what was the big challenge there? So the paper, the posts I just we we shared where I talked about systems, talked about Google developing artificial intelligence to help with customer service at Google. Mm -hmm. They had built knowledge bases where they said, here are all the problems people ask about, and here are all the answers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how often do people ask these questions? How do we prioritize them? Which are the most important? They, as the name of the patent suggests, they built a, a hierarchy, a taxonomy based on hierarchies. Uh, so they said, these are the most important problems, the ones we have to solve more often. These are the ones that are less important. Let's decide which we should write word pages about, which we should uh, uh, have people, spokespeople from Google discuss. Let's uh, develop a strategy for handling these, for answering them. You, you also uh, sometimes say that the, um, uh, one of the challenges is uh, training. So you, you mentioned Freebase, which was yeah. acquired, it was the company was called MetaWeb, I think. Right. So they had a base, they had data. 
because yeah. people think, oh, Google, you know, it knows everything, it has so much data. Yeah, but raw data without, it's not just about data. And I've seen coming by like so much data that is, you're like, you think you have gold and you're like looking at it. It's like, no, I can't do anything with this. So, so I wrote a blog post once about Google and lots of data and stuff like that. I had a, a search engineer from Yahoo comment. Oh, really? My, uh, <laughs> first. Yeah. He said, we collect lots of data, too. The problem is there's so much of it, we don't know which is the most important data, which is the least important data. And, you know, it, it is a problem. Uh -huh. This is how Google's going to answer quotes. And they updated that patent. They, they did a continuation patent where they said, that's not the way we're going to do this anymore. Instead, they said, we're going to analyze videos. And we're going to find the video itself that that quote was said in. Mm. You know, if it's a movie, if it's a newscast, so on, we can show people that video. And most likely, when they're searching for a quote from a specific person, they want to watch the video anyway. But well, we don't have to rely upon knowledge bases as much because we we're creating the knowledge base by analyzing all these all these videos ourselves. So we're we're doing it in a machine learned way. That's no longer relying upon uh, scaling by people. So one of the challenges was to decide what's uh, what's the most important scalability, uh, and then you have the training part of of uh, of the and whole system. With, with analyzing all these videos is part of the, it's part of the training set, and it's uh, the the focus is uh, on providing people access to those videos where those quotes are being said. Yeah, and they updated it recently, right? Uh, so now it comes down to, uh, I don't know how much of the YouTube technology is used by Google, but YouTube is remarkable. Uh, the caption, the way it understands voices and uh, the intent, five to 10 videos is enough for YouTube to understand exactly how you speak, what you speak about, and so on. So I did a study about five or six years ago, uh, maybe a little bit longer, where I, I watched as many videos as I could and had the closed caption on to see how close the transcripts were to accurate. And for a lot of them, they were terrible. Hmm. But they often got place names wrong and product names wrong. The only one that was any good was a, a State of the Union address by Barack Obama. Because there was evidence that somebody had gone in and edited it to make sure it was correct. I, f I forgot that phase. Yeah. The, the first five to 10 videos, you need to edit the caption. <laughs> and that's how 
the machine learns. Uh, thank you, because that's the important part. If you don't edit the caption, uh, it's not it's not going to work. And they've gotten a lot better since. But the speed, because in my head, this whole machine learning was very slow. Uh, the image I, I use is uh, a kid will burn itself on a stove once, maybe yeah. twice. Three times, if it's really like a stubborn one, right? And that's it. And it will even be able to link the heat from the stove with a, a fireplace. Similar feeling, while the machine will not. And the machine will have to burn itself like a million times before it understands these burns. But the, the, machine, the machine learns incredibly fast when it's playing a game like Asteroids over and over and over again, nonstop. And it learns all the right moves, all the wrong moves. It did, uh, in DeepMind, doing uh, arcade games, they found uh, ways to win at games like Pong that had never been done by human before. Well, did, you know that? Did you play Pong? I, pl I remember playing Pong. I remember <laughs> playing Pong, but I, I didn't play Pong the way DeepMind did. Well, it, it came out. It, I, I'm, I was born in '69, so I think it came out uh, right away when I was. But I remember playing it early on. Uh, yep. <laughs> wow, <laughs> Pong is uh, when you played Pong, you know you're old school. <laughs> I, I once I fired up in uh, an old Apple II and um, I threw in like Snake and uh, Space Invader. And my son was looking at me on that machine with the fan, you know, the noise and the clunky key. I was like, really? You guys were playing? That was the game? That was the game experience? Uh, yeah. <laughs> we didn't know better. I mean, <laughs> no PlayStation. <laughs> uh, okay, let's get serious again. Let's go back to, to what you said about the pattern on uh, machine learning for customer service. I, I kind of overlooked it. But now that you spoke about it and you mentioned it, I understand yeah. how important this is. This is typically the type of pattern that you're like, oh, yes, your customer service. No, this is, this is very important because this, this is... Eating its own dog food. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Uh, but then we have to also mention the fact that... Um, they need human validation. Yeah. So you have your training set, they put the, the algorithm do something. Sometimes they give it directions, instructions, sometimes they don't. The image I give is you have a library and you put the machine learning in, them, in there. Sometimes you will tell it how the library is organized or you could not and different output. Yeah. But then you need human beings to validate all those results. Which is a quality raters guide guides. It's the, the testing set. Many people think that quality raters have a big impact on the anti-spam, <laughs> like, like the, the, the Google penalty. No, no, no. <laughs> First of all, they audit a SERP, search engine result page. They don't yeah. audit. Well, you have pages on on a, on the SERP, but it's not the way they look at it, and it's most definitely more machine learning training than uh, anti-spam uh, uh, objectives. Uh, it, it would not be 
just from an economic perspective, having quality raters to pre-qualify uh, spammy websites would not make a lot of sense, in my opinion. Have you played the image labeler game at Google Photos lately? No. Okay, so so it's like Google will show you... Uh, well, we can play now. Is it online? Google will show you a number of pictures and ask you which ones are pictures of the beach. Okay, I, I see it. Yeah. Uh, I played the I played the dogs with the Microsoft version. Yeah, the same the same thing. Yeah. So the idea is to get human beings to uh, uh, not train them, but to test how well they've trained themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that Bing was what Microsoft was, what is this dog or forget what it is. But you had to tell the machine, is this a Labrador or, or Great Dane or whatever. And uh, without, uh, how long does, it have to, does this have to go, the human validation process? Is it ongoing? You can't keep on training uh, without validation? Or, or is there at one point you can let go of, of humans 100%? I sort of see it as a necessary step. It's it's one that you don't want to necessarily avoid. You can uh, when you're when you're doing the initial training. Sometimes you can uh, take shortcuts to make that training period less long, like using uh, uh, pre-training approaches like BERT. Hmm. Hold on a bit, hold on a bit. Listeners, yeah. hold that thought. Bert, one of the, we'll come back to Bert. Okay, keep on going. <laughs> Just hold that thought, Bert. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so you, you, you've already done some of the training. You, you haven't identified uh, parts of speech on a page. Hmm. Bert's doing that for you. It's It's... Determine whether a word's a noun, a verb, an adverb, an adjective. So you're 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 letting a system that has already done training on a book corpus and on on the whole of Wikipedia uh, to understand things like uh, words that tend to be related to each other tend to occur frequently. Uh, Bert knows a lot about a lot of things, and it can. Uh, tag words. It can tag uh, them to identify the parts of speech they're from. Uh, when you're looking for uh, to rank passages that might be answers, mm -hmm. and and you've you've tagged one word as an entity, and then you've tagged the next word that follows it immediately as a verb, as the verb is. Okay. So usually an answer is something like uh, the London Bridge is. Mm -hmm. So you've got an entity, you've got you've got the beginning of an answer. So this is how you're uh, identifying answers to uh, questions by by uh, understanding the parts of speech associated with the words in a passage. Well, now that you launched. The word, Bert, <laughs> the, the most well-known of them all. 
is one grain. Yeah. And there's always a shortcut that sometimes I use. The boss at Google today is rank brain. Maybe because the word rank brain sounds sexy. I don't know why why rank brain symbolizes uh, machine learning at Google. But uh, what do, do you have a, a theory on on why it's all about rank brain? <laughs> I think uh, part of it has to do with the idea that the game of search is finding keywords and guessing the right keywords that might show you an answer to a question you have. And it's a matter of how well you can guess which words to ask a search engine about to get an answer mm. uh, as to how successful you are at search. Mm. And the idea uh, Google started using synonyms, synonym substitutions for words that you might use as keywords to give you answers, to rewrite the queries that you ask. Uh, and they did start doing that in 2003. They had people like Amit Singhal uh, writing patents about uh, synonym substitutions. And he was the guy who said, Google search should be like Star Trek tricorders. You can talk into the device and it'll answer you. It'll give you, it'll tell you what you're looking at. Uh, oh, that's a famous, I think it's a Sergey Brin quote, which says, I dream about a device that <laughs> I, I, I think about a question and the phone will give me my answer. Yeah. And I was early, early 2000 or, or something like that. Anyway, um, let's go. Okay, Bill, let's go. Let's do it. Okay, so, so, so that synonym substitution uh, developed into Hummingbird at, at some point. Okay. And hummingbird, one of the differences between Hummingbird and uh, synonym substitution is often in a synonym substitution, Google will say, okay, we've got this query, we've got these words, we don't understand a couple of them. Uh, let's see if we can rewrite them and get better answers. Uh, and, and that's synonym substitution, but Hummingbird is looking at words that appear in the same query that aren't necessarily adjacent to each other and using those to better understand what the word might mean, like uh, a hummingbird query that might be rewritten is, what is a good place to get uh, lasagna and good wine? And if you substitute the word place for a restaurant, you get a pretty good uh, query result. But the word place isn't next to the word lasagna or wine. Yeah. So you, you're, you're trying to take the context of all the words in a query to get an answer. To understand, it's like, what is the best place for Chicago-style pizza? Place could be restaurant or place could be Finnish. Uh, and if, if you're looking for Chicago-style pizza, you probably want a restaurant. So they're understanding context by looking at the whole of the query. Context is the big, uh, the big idea between the hummingbird. Right. So, so rank brain... Wait, 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 wait hold on, hold on. Hold. Okay. I do, why do I love Hummingbird? I told you before we started. Hummingbird is because SEOs see Google updates all the time. 
Yeah. Guys, they are just machine learning patterns, okay? <laughs> the up and downs you see in the, 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 the surfs, weather stuff, 90% of it is just the way machine learning works, right? Yeah. Uh, but Hummingbird, nobody saw anything. And Google very proudly announced, hey guys, there's been an update out for a while and you guys didn't see it. <laughs> So, so part of the focus behind Hummingbird was on longer queries, ones mm. that you would ask in the conversation. Uh, uh, not, not very oh, SEO-centric. Somebody, somebody uh. was doing a presentation on Hummingbird, and she asked me, how do I prepare for this? I said, okay, start doing all your queries with five or six or more words. Stop doing mm. them with two mm. or three words. Ask questions like a person. But at that scale and the importance now, now looking back, we realize how important is Hummingbird. It's probably the most important of them all, actually. But the fact that not a single SEO, not even Barry Schwartz, <laughs> so, so anything. Uh, uh, I mean, you, we had patents, we had all this, you, you documented all that. But again, we never said enough. The patent doesn't mean that it's in production in Google. Never does. Uh, now, let's go to the next one. Yeah. So you have, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll finish. Uh, okay, no, let's go to, yeah, let's go to RankBrain now. Okay. Let's go to RankBrain. So what is the difference with uh, Hummingbird? So rank brain is based on word vectors, which means Google has taken a very large corpus, like the scanned book corpus or all Wikipedia, and said, okay, which words tend to appear next to each other? And and that's the machine learned part of rank brain. And what rank brain can do is look at a query and determine whether or not it's missing some words. So somebody's searching for New York Times puzzle. Rank brain might say, well, we see New York Times puzzle, a word that we often see together with those that tends to co-occur with those is the word crossword. Mm. So the query should be rewritten to New York Times as a crossword. And the results that we get show that lots of people search, uh, look for New York Times crossword puzzle. Look in the query blocks. We know that's true. But now the question is, yeah. word. When, uh, what is the difference when a machine like Google uses transforming, uh, instead of uh, a word like humans analyze a word, they, they use a mathematical entity, basically. Uh, and the old way of uh, automatically processing language was about real language, word, uh, and the distance between two words. For example, why... Uh, uh, why Abraham and Lincoln go together is because so many yeah. documents have Abraham and Lincoln next to one another. So they were, that was the old way. Right. Uh, but 
now it's they i think seos understand that google does not really think of words like we do it, it's more like a real mathematical approach and uh, context vectors vectors guys vectors the word that's very important to understand that well co-occurrence mm -hmm. uh, as as uh my friend uh don anderson sometimes says uh there's a guy named fred frith who oh, uh, i have to stop computer scientist and and said that you can tell a word by the company it keeps Hold on, hold on. Usually it's your phone ringing, and now it's, it's mine. <laughs> Hello. 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 Oops, sorry. Let me kill that. Uh, yeah, Don Anderson. She, she, uh, but she doesn't write so much anymore. But when she writes, she, she writes like really long, very thought pieces, uh, very, very well argumented uh, pieces, and. Um, what I'm trying to, to express here is, and helping out SEOs to understand uh, the, that you need to help Google. If, yeah. if you understand how these essential uh, algorithms, what they want, if you understand what they want, you don't even need to understand the formulas or anything like that. What we're trying to give you here as value is uh, going straight to the output of what does the machine want. So, so, so the word vector approach is uh, an example they often use is that a king, a man is to a king as a woman is to a queen. Okay. And and you can tell uh, those relationships are similar based upon all the words that can co-occur with each of those concepts. Mm. The fascinating part for me is um, not the, it's more how the predictive part, the, the how they can anticipate. But even even old school, uh, last time we, uh, and, uh, we, no, last time, because we didn't record in the right order, I don't remember. But we, we uh, so don't mind me. But the fact is that um, very early on, they were already into uh, what we see in production now, for example, in Google Discover, the predictive search. But even since the early 2000s, and even in the 90s, you already have the n-gram, for example, n-gram algorithm, you know, from a, a, a series of entities, you can guess the, 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 the upcoming one, yeah. or, or all those patterns you wrote about from the early 2000s that were already into the whole predictive, uh, and the speed at which Google can return results, because we take it for granted. But the insane calculation that goes into this predicting something, then going back to the machine, then pre prefetching it, and the round orbit and personalization. Well, do we even have a sense of <laughs> how big is this algorithms and the lines of codes and the must be tremendous. It makes sense that they're trying to move away from human scale uh, learning to mm. web scale learning because. Mm. If you can uh, shave off some time in your processes, you can provide lots of answers a lot sooner. 
sometimes it feels like Google can't go back and they want to organize the world's information and yeah. makes this, uh, makes it accessible to us uh, the best way and the most efficient way possible. That's the core value of Google. That's what they do since day one. They do it, do it very well. But when we know that 90, and I'm generous by saying 90% of the web is crap. <laughs> There's, they have to deal with so much crap. Guys, not 25 billion spammy pages and 90 billion spammy links per day are filtered out by Google. And that's the stuff that they take out. <laughs> so, so that's a lot. To solve problems, they're trying to address things. For instance, uh, local search. You you look in knowledge panels, you see busyness indicators, which which tell you how busy a certain place you might be searching for might be at the time you do the search, and and they're actually looking at location history associated with people's phones to tell mm. how long people wait in line for a table at a restaurant, how long they wait in line at a, a, a cash register to check out and, and give you a sense of how good an experience or how bad an experience mm. you might have going to a certain place in a little short histogram that's associated with the knowledge panel. Uh, they're solving a problem that we didn't know we had. Exactly, exactly. Profiling is not always bad. We won't go into the debate about around privacy, uh, yeah. maybe for another day. So, so most people using navigation approve of the use of mm. under, Google understanding their location. So I'm not concerned about privacy with that. Because most people have said, yes, you can track me. You can tell me how to get places. Even back to Google Now before Google Assistant. Do you remember first, it was 2012, 11, maybe Google Now came out. It was the yeah. first attempt to predictive search. I remember doing a keynote on that and the eyes of people in <laughs> the crowd were like, you know, like the, the, the cartoon because they were like, really? They're going to be able to, it sounded like science fiction. I'm like, no, it's here. It's, it's happening. And give you a presentation, get a response like that too. <laughs> <laughs> when, when you have the, the, the Labrador look in front of you, <laughs> the person is looking at you, yeah, totally lost. And it was already there. I was not, uh, it was not science fiction at all. Uh, and, and now, well, yeah, a few years later, the yeah. power of, um, Especially, I look at Google Discover on the Android phone because of the hardware, because yeah. they have the entire ecosystem. Uh, wow. Um, and Apple has been working for the past 10 years on their search engine. <laughs> and they are just coming out now with a few features like improving Siri and, and so on. Uh, so yeah, let's let's just talk about the benefits today of, of profiling, because if you don't let yourself profiled or spied on, whatever you want to call it, uh, the quality of the results uh, is very poor. If, if, okay, let me ask this question. Um, yeah. If we remove the whole profiling part, if the personalization, 
uh, how far can it go? Uh, especially when I'm thinking about uh, some of those search engine result pages before the rank brain training, when they were putting everything in random, and then you saw the evolution upon places, uh, profiles, and so on, and then they started to sort it out. I can still access, I can still show you actually, I need to, well, we need to, to break a little bit Google, but because I, I live in Andorra, which doesn't exist for Google, we're in this black hole, I can still see uh, like results. Like, there are very few results, like a few, usually 60, 80 results on a query and it's all random because it doesn't understand what the hell I want. Uh, well, I'm long dead, well, I have history, but I've, have this ability to access those raw search engine pages um, for terms like, uh, I remember VIN, wine in French, V-I-N, which is also some uh, vehicle identification ID thing in, the, yeah. in English. And then there's also a veterinary uh, ID something. So, so I, 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 uh, I can uh, I can reproduce it now. I need to I need to do a few a few tricks to to get into the matrix. But it's very interesting because I type buy wine. I mean the French equivalent buy wine, search wine, uh, cheap wine, and I type wine V I N in French vin, and then I go back in the past and I get this really random page where all the results are not personalized. We forget that. Uh, it's like watching uh, ads on TV. It's not personalized. It's not a great experience. Well, ads are not, are not a great experience anyway, but especially when they are not personalized, uh, it's dreadful. So I probably do three or four Google Now searches a day. Mm. Just because I'm curious. I want to see information about the things that it knows I'm interested in. It knows I'm interested. It has a history of my searches, and it can decide which things I'm going to find out more about. And I've also told it what my interests are. Sometimes Google now will allow you to update your interests and tell which types of movies you like to watch, what types of musics, music you like to listen to. Uh, whether or not you're interested in politics, uh, technology, and so on. And it, it does keep updated. And uh, Google Now and Google News both have different algorithms. It's interesting switching back and forth between them each, both a couple times a day. And I do that too. Do you have a... Well, sorry, did you want to go on? No. No. What is the difference between hyper-personalization and the machine putting you into a bucket? Okay, you are this, uh, let's call it computer, internet, <laughs> web-related profession, hobby, photography, flowers, likes the sea, likes tacos. <laughs> so that's hyper-personalization. Or they just Google puts you into a bucket of, okay. Uh, 
nerd <laughs> that, that, that likes uh, <laughs> likes uh, to take pictures of flowers or <laughs> i don't know like like do you you know what i'm trying to say like do they have buckets where they put you in or is it really uh, uh the 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 oh, it's not a person you you're more like an ip the, or person plan that goes into more depth mm -hmm. about personalization and that type of things uh than i've seen before i need to write a blog post about uh, because it breaks more into knowledge graph and entities and so on than any, any previous uh, patent about personalization I've seen before. Uh, the fact that you can identify both your express and implied interests by telling you what you're interested in and then by showing it, by doing searches, uh, we, we give people, uh, we give Google a location history based on where we carry our phones. We give it a search history based on what we search for. Uh, we're, we're training Google all the time about what we're interested in. Google's collecting data from us about when we do type, certain types of searches for certain types of things. Uh, and what we express an interest in when it shows us uh, predictive queries in Google and we decide what to click on when we're seeing those predictive queries. We're giving an mm. indication of which we're most interested in. We, you, in Google now, you can also vote up or vote down things. You can say, show, show mm. me more of this or show me less mm. of this. And that's a recent addition within the past month or so. But don't you feel like it's trying to go the um, Instagram way? Kind of. It's, uh, well, first of all, first question, Jude, because that's a big question in the industry. Between Facebook and Google, who was the best data? We both don't like very much Facebook. <laughs> We're not too big fans. Uh, but it feels like, uh, I don't know. I, I, I couldn't give you a straight answer between, uh, it feels like it's two different paths. There's no better, it's just. Uh, so I, would, I was telling you about a patent I'm looking at now mm -hmm. that I'm blog posts about mm -hmm. now on opinion. Exactly, uh, yes. yes. And Google, Google top stories, Google will, identify what it thinks are top stories for different subjects and show you a carousel of those in search results and the top results. Uh, so it doesn't personalize those too much, it, but it possibly could. It, it, there's a fear, I think, at Google that you might get stuck in a filter bubble and it might show you the things that you're most interested in all the time. And they mm -hmm. want to avoid that. So they said, we'll add these opinion stories to these top stories as a way to uh, provide more information, a wider view. Uh, people who write op-ed pieces in news aren't journalists. They're usually uh, uh, concerned citizens, politicians, mm -hmm. industry people, people who don't get news stories every day for people but who have opinions and often strong opinions. There's some level of sentiment 
associated with these stories. And they're using a machine learning approach to identify stories that are opinion-based stories. And they're trying to add those to the top stories they show in part to break people out of filter bubbles, to avoid the fact that they might personalize too much by giving people mm. a wider range of information. It feels like depending upon the topics, you might have a better experience. Uh, for example, I, I think that photography that we both like a lot would be a topic where I see a lot of opinions and people being eager to gather opinions from other non-professional, non, especially what is a professional photographer is also a big question. Like, like if you're just a local wedding photographer, do I really care about your point of view? Is it really relevant? I, I could be a hobbyist and take better, bigger, better pictures than 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 a. Uh, you know, than a professional photographer. So, so the playing field is very different in photography instead of uh, nuclear physics, for example. <laughs> there, there are two schools of thought regarding becoming a better photographer. One of them is take lots of pictures. And the second one is look at lots of pictures. Yeah, we, we do both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The... But I think it's a good example of photography where you have a lot of organic content and a lot of non-professional, non, uh, yeah, non-professional opinions that are very valuable, while some professional opinions have are not relevant at all, uh, because when a, a, a professional local wedding slash portrait photographer tries to give you lessons on YouTube. Uh, that person doesn't understand as a hobbyist when they say for example the gear doesn't matter yeah. if you want to please yourself by buying a Leica who is that professional photographer for saying yeah no you don't deserve don't buy a Leica or don't buy a Zeiss lens because you are not a professional like <laughs> you don't understand well if I can afford it <laughs> why, why why don't I? What can I have better gear than you? What can I buy as a bad as a, or phase one? What was it like sixty thousand dollars for a camera, <laughs> medium <laughs> format? Uh, so so yeah. And another example would be about uh, even more controversial because that's about health. Are you relevant about diets? because you have a PhD in nutrition or because you lost 30 pounds in uh, 30 days? Uh, complicated, huh? <laughs> but we'll go into authors in a little bit. Let's finish up with, we spoke about hummingbird, we spoke about ringbrain, we're missing one, bird. Told you earlier, friends, hold that thought about Bert. So please explain to, uh, to us what, what is Bert, because I feel it's the less known of them all. Bert, like word vectors, is a way of pre-training uh, uh, an understanding of what a query may contain. Uh, what it adds is context. Word vectors don't add context. Bert is much better about understanding what words 
might appear. Sometimes they'll they'll uh, train it on a set of uh, information and they'll cover up words. So they'll cover up sentences mm. and ask Bert, what is the covered word? What is the covered sentence? And see how well Bert can understand uh, what the missing pieces are as part of the training. Those are the main three, Bert, Hummingbird, Rangbrain, but we don't even know the thousands of experiments they're running. So, so Bert is used in a wide range of natural language processing tasks. It's, it's used in question answering and passage understanding. It's used in uh, uh, query rewriting. It's, it's used in a mix of things. Is it at the, at the core of this passage, passages indexing uh, that makes uh, a lot of people wonder nowadays? Uh, you know, there was the, the announce by uh, Prabhakar Raghavan, <laughs> a, new, <laughs> a new boss at Google, and yeah. he announced the search uh, 2020 or 2021, I forgot which one it was, and there was this whole like passages indexing. Right, but, but the passage indexing section of his presentation did not mention the use of BERT with passage indexing. It was part of the presentation adjacent to passage indexing, mm. where he talked about more use of BERT, but he did not say in the presentation, I watched it five or six times, he did not say in the section about passage indexing that BERT was being used. Mm. That's interesting, because it would make sense, but maybe... Uh... We're doing uh, some searching uh, around in places like Google Scholar. There are papers about using BERT to do passage. They refer to it as passage re-ranking. And what okay. they said is... Oh. Here's my call. Here's your commercial. <laughs> what, what are they selling, Tony? <laughs> it's, 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 it's a spammer. I was I was wondering because uh, he's late. He's usually he's usually a bit earlier than this. <laughs> it, it, in the caller ID, they don't identify a person; they identify the city of location. Mm. And what the spammers are doing is uh, spoofing your zip code or your area code. Really? To try to make it look like it's a local call. Oh, okay, got well, it. Got it. Answer the phone because you say, "Oh, it's got to be someone nearby." Yeah, because it's local. Okay, got it. Oh, it's, it's, that's it's, tricky. It's, it's totally spoofed. It's, <laughs> so they told a city name, and, and you know, uh, it, it's it's not identifying potential person like most mm -hmm. phone calls from people would. Well, the technology about spamming phones uh, definitely <laughs> evolved yeah. thanks to also machine learning. It's everywhere. <laughs> so I was saying about BERT, BERT is a pre-trained set of information based on uh, understanding the book corpus and mm -hmm. Wikipedia, and it, it understands context. It understands which words might be words that are related to the words in a query, possibly to complete a query. Uh, or, or which might, I told you about the part of speech uh, uh, identification that it does where it might say named entity is mm. 
as maybe the start of a good answer to a question because it's uh, defining what an entity might be. And that potentially is a good answer. And it uses a pass, I was saying it's a passage re-ranking approach because what Google might do is, is use a, a less computationally expensive approach to find a corpus that's smaller than the whole web, like the top 50 or the top 100 results for a query. Mm. And then might switch from, from that simpler approach like a BM25 or a TFIDF approach mm. to uh, uh, something that's more computation, computationally expensive like BERT mm -hmm. to understand the query and to find the best answer from the smaller corpus that you found with, with the original ranking. And it's okay. a re-ranking. And, and that's, that's how BERT would apply to maybe finding good answers to questions. Now, let's go back to Hummingbird to uh, go to another direction. And yeah. when I read it, the date here is important, 2013. When I read this, I thought that was pretty controversial <laughs> uh, because it's a huge um, goal for Google to put some kind of... Uh, <laughs> person rank, author rank, define who is who. People, are you, Bill Swalski is an author identified as a scholar on a certain topic. Uh, Bill Swalski could be also very knowledgeable about flowers and photography, but because Bill wrote and uh, documented his expertise on this topic, it's much easier for Google to figure it out. And we'll go into uh, deeper uh, notions about, about how, how to identify an author. It's remarkable. But this is 2013. And, and um, yeah, can we go back in time, Google Plus, author rank, this whole thing? Explain to us what was going on back then. Sure. So I was writing about a Microsoft paper at this point in time where they're talking about identifying uh, uh, authors of tweets to, to maybe understand better what they were tweeting about. And ProBase was Microsoft's version of the knowledge base. Mm. And nowadays, ProBase, the ProBase information is referred to as uh, the Microsoft concept ref. And mm -hmm. Microsoft Concept Graph, if I do a search for my name under the Microsoft Concept Graph, it identifies me as a patent expert. Yep. I've never called myself a patent expert. I have, a, have had other people call me that, but it's not something I've done myself. Uh, so they may understand my tweets about patents might have something to do with me spending time writing about and thinking about patents a lot. The thing here is that you identified, it's, it's much easier for Google to understand that you're an expert or very knowledgeable in, in this area. Yeah. Well, you might know as much, and you do know as much about flowers and photography, but you didn't document it the same way. 
Right. So you made it, you made Google's jobs easier to understand uh, your authority on this very specific uh, type of, of knowledge, which is, uh, which are patents. And at that point in time, Google Plus was around and it was relevant. It was, it was possible to be involved in, in communities that talked about patents and search. Google Plus was not a social media, guys. It was, it was something else. <laughs> it was an experiment, a failed experiment. So, so if I was involved in communities about deep sea diving and scuba, and I talked about in those, I, I wrote blog posts about uh, the best way to pick scuba equipment or diving tanks or things like that and had identified different deep sea creatures uh, it, it would be able to identify that I might be an expert in the sea in sailing in scuba mm. uh, is it is it uh, if I simplify is it kind of putting hashtags next to your, next to your profile type of things. It's kind of uh, like, like I told you, Bert can uh, identify parts of speech and they can tag those. Uh, Google, uh, when, when you do a, a, a search like uh Let's see. Think of the best what, what do you want to try to, to find? They're pronoun type searches like uh, Alexander. No. Thinking of. Uh, well, if you if you talk about, for example, well, search engine. Uh, or uh, what does that lead to? Um, if we Barack Obama was married to Michelle Obama, what was her date of birth? Google uh, sees what was her date of birth. Says the previous query, he mentioned Michelle Obama. We've tagged that as his wife. And especially if you have words that have so, so different meanings. Tagging queries in query sessions to answer later queries. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And that's what I'm able to break because I'm not prof. Uh, we don't exist. I mean, to this rabbit hole. And uh, I, don't, I can totally see the difference when I'm searching in Spain or in France or elsewhere and, and in Andorra where I live. It's pretty funky to funky to 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 be in this uh, black hole for all the digital services. We don't have app stores. We have nothing. We don't exist. <laughs> Anyways, uh, now let's go into even more controversial. Okay. Twenty twenty. Mm -hmm. Google understands another style well enough to imitate it. This was also, uh, I was scratching my head because uh, um, I understand it, yeah. but, but trying to identify an author by the patents, the 
not the patents, the patterns, the patterns, the, the, the footprint in the language and, and the way uh, an author uh, writes can identify him or her. Uh, I thought that was mind blowing. But for you, it's not science fiction. It's really. Um, I was it, I was an English major in college, so we studied what different people wrote, and we try to learn about their styles and what idiosyncrasies they had when they wrote. Like Thomas Carlyle was a, a British author during the Renaissance period, and he, he wrote in very long sentences. In the shortest sentence, in a, one essay I read from him, the shortest uh, sentence I could find was 17 words. So, so he would write these very long uh well-formulated, well-structured sentences where he'd have like multiple clauses that followed some parallelism in their, in their uh, uh, usage of verbs and so on, which made them very easy to read. He wasn't like William Faulkner with this uh, extreme mm. uh, stream of consciousness type writing. Mm. He, he wrote long sentences that were readable. Uh, you have... Uh, Somebody like Ernest Hemingway, who wrote on a third grade reading level, um, who wrote short sentences, like five, six words long each. And, and there are unique patterns that authors write that college students learn. They can identify, uh, they can be given uh, text from multiple authors and identify who the authors are of the, that text even without the names attached to them. Well, you can certainly do it for photography and painting and art, so why not text? Yeah. <laughs> right. So, so it's, it's not hard to presume that Google, which has an incredible memory, can do that. It can understand, it can analyze, uh, it can use engrams to study the structure of uh, things that people, people have written and what uh, particular ways they have of punctuating of uh, phrasing things that are unique to them. Now, I asked you the question before we went online, because I say it wasn't going to be a trick, because that's, that's a tricky question. Interesting, yeah. but tricky. Let's say that you write a piece on, uh, I don't know, medium.com, but you don't, You, you, you don't, uh, you use another name or, or even yeah. no name, nothing, no, no, no specification that it's you. And even between GoFish Digital and SEO by the Sea, it's different. Your, your writing style is different, but at least, okay. I, I think Google can fairly match GoFish Digital with SEO by the Sea. I often write from a slightly different stance. Uh, yeah. But do you think if, if you were on an older website like medium.com or Blogspot or whatever, where you are not, not so much information to, to uh, and, and you write on a, okay, would Google be able to identify that it's you if you write about flowers or photography of flowers on medium.com without it, saying you're it, Bill Solsky? It might not be because... <laughs> The difference would be that I'm writing for different audiences. Mm -hmm. So as an SEO, I'm, I'm trained to 
use the words my audiences expect to see on page and it'll search for it. Mm. Interesting. So, so the way I might phrase things might be similar. So some of the patterns I use uh, are definitely going to be the same, but some of the choices of words that I select are going to vary. They're going to be different. Because in the... For example, on, on Twitter, you have trolls, okay? And in the SEO industry, we have trolls <laughs> and the anonymous accounts that insult everybody else. And um, at least in France, we've been able to find out who was behind the Twitter account. But there was some social engineering going on as well as trying to find the footprint, especially on tweets that are very short. Because the way you do an emoji or, or some spelling mistakes or some the way you you uh, phrase something would be very unique. So if us as CEOs, but Google is missing the social engineering part where we exchange uh, well facts and, and opinions about who that person might be and depending on uh, who they attack and what they say, uh, what they don't say, who they don't attack. So I, was, I always thought that was pretty remarkable that we playing detectives like this and being able to track down a, a troller on Twitter. So it doesn't surprise me that the machine is able to some extent yeah. replicate this phenomenon. Uh, so as a, as a forum administrator, I was an administrator of creative site forums. We sometimes had tag team spammers. Mm. Somebody would <laughs> join the forum, ask a question, and then somebody else would join the forum and answer the question. Yep. And, yep. and if you searched for, say, the question that was asked, you could see that the same pattern happened over and over again on different forums. Mm. And the same person asked the question and the same person answered the question. And it was them being lazy. And, and that they didn't bother to rephrase the question. Or YouTube comments. You can see in half a second that they are fake comments and they were bought out. <laughs> and they are just comments that will go under any video anyway. And then uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, but we, have, we are humans. Again, the challenge for machine. I don't think people realize the tremendous challenge to try to to imit imitate this process that a human can do in very quickly. Uh, yeah. Not so easy for a machine, especially at the scale of something like Google. And that's why um, that's why that's why well we spoke about RingBrain. That's why I wanted to go into this last one. Because it's all about who is in relation to what and why. And I would even answer also when. Uh, yeah. In this, there is no time um, time variable here, but I think it also could be added. So this is the final chapter, because this is as close as we can come to uh, saying that Google understands, quote, unquote, something. Or language. So, so this is uh, when you do a spoken query with Google Assistant, mm. like a speaker. 
and you're you're asking it to take action to book a, a hotel reservation or a restaurant reservation, and it's you're often most people often provide limited information or aren't too exact, and it's it's talking about how Google might better understand what those queries are saying, what they're asking for, understand uh, uh, what entities are about, which restaurant, which hotel. Well, the two examples you give, what is the hotel that looks like a cell? Yeah. Or what restaurants nearby serve omelets? Uh, most definitely a uh, very good example of, of what they're trying to achieve here. So phase one, they look at, again, previous queries without context, without the history, the search history, this would not work. Mm -hmm. The process is not that um, complicated. It, it's um, compared to other patterns, it, it, it's really very, uh, how can I say, ambitious. Yeah. But it doesn't seem, and from my opinion, like the, the most uh, difficult, of, oh, it's actually like reverse. Who, 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 who did this? Because, because uh, it feels like, yeah, it's different, different people that I'm used to see. It feels like yeah. it's a totally um, different. For sure, Bizzotti. It feels like a different mindset. He does some interesting patents involving entities. Because the solution, elegance, and Pragbakar Raghavan is a big fan of elegance in simplicity. <laughs> and elegance in simplicity is shows up also in this kind of, of pattern where you, it's very complicated uh, question. I mean, the, the, what is the hotel that looks like a cell? Uh, think about it. I mean, that's, that's the type of question that uh, humans answer, not not a machine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so now, what's next? What's next after that? What what is the? They're, they're still not there yet to identify authors. They're not there yet to qualify the level of uh, page rank, I guess, for authors or topical page rank. But for um, the analysis of the text, yeah, I saw the even in, in my own little like ranking factor type of formula, the body of text, the block of text throughout the years took a so much more importance now than even five or, or ten years ago, where H one was more important than text <laughs> fifteen years ago. So, so the um, the improvement, the evolution into I don't like to uh, to to use the word understand, but analyzing the text and trying to figure out what the hell is going on. Yeah, uh, is it is is really because some people say that yeah it's yeah sure the algorithms, but it's really about the computing power, computer pro processing power that allows this kind of things. What's, what's your view on that? 
doesn't feel like they, 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 they're not using quantum computers to do that. No, they're just using better approaches, better mm. methods. But for, for this type of work... So Martin Split was talking about answer passage, uh, uh, passage ranking. Mm -hmm. And he said, in the past, we looked at web pages that were about specific topics as being more important to ranking for queries about those topics. Mm -hmm. There were some pages that often were much broader in scope, like a page about uh, Clementine oranges mm. would be the best page to answer a query about Clementine oranges. Mm. A page about fruits of the world would cover all different types of fruits, might have more information about Clementine oranges than the page about Clementine oranges and better information, but we wouldn't choose that page as a page to answer that query because it covered other things too. So the, the attempt to improve passage ranking was to identify these other pages that maybe have wider application that maybe have just as much information about a specific topic as pages that are more focused on narrower topics. Mm. So they're trying to identify pages that may contain information that they would have passed by in the past. Uh, their algorithm wasn't focused upon using those pages as answers. Mm. Okay, that's interesting. The next next uh, episode, we, we are talking about the future of search and uh, going into different topics. But it feels like, uh, first, Google is still the best of them all, by far. Even if for, let's say, the 50,000 common queries uh, that represent the needs for, every, for most people, any search engine does the job for, for this core set of of, uh, of queries but then uh, how how is it possible that google has such uh, such a huge like gap such a leap forward compared to the other ones is it just because they still have a priority on search on on and um... we don't understand enough what is a good search result and mm. capable of comparing uh what provides the best answers? Bing, Google, Apple. We don't even consider Apple a search engine, and it is. It's hidden in plain sight, but mm. it doesn't have a search engine result page. It's got interfaces in iPhones and MacBooks, but unless you are an Apple user, you don't see those. Well, now we know definitely the, the features Spotlight and Siri uh, have uh, improved a lot with the, the new updates. And uh, so yeah. now it's a little more obvious that there is uh, something going on. But it feels like even Apple uh, cannot catch up. Uh, Bing cannot catch up. Quant, I mean, no, Mojik. No, I'm not talking about the, the meta search engine like Go, uh, the, the go, but the, the, the ones that crawl the web and um, uh, index the web. Even if I look at Majestic that started in the 90s and 
the other technologies that I know that trying to do, do something like Majestic SEO uh, feels like the web is too big and going too fast for them to ever catch up. <laughs> Which is why Google's moving away from human-based scalability. Mm -hmm. It's like directories and knowledge bases. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, that's uh, okay. An hour and 27 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> It's time to to check out uh, most definitely um, very important part of what define uh, industry uh, and, and the the way. Now these days, no going back. We will never ever ever go back to how it was before. So whether. You, my friend, the listener, like it or not, <laughs> I don't. Bill and I don't judge. We 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 just observe, analyze. Uh, but when you start to put emotions into it, and yes, of course, privacy is a concern. Yes, of course, and so on. Uh, but all I'm saying is, uh, we can't uh, we can't go back. <laughs> it's only moving forward. So. We said, oh yeah, we don't uh, we don't really like Facebook that much on a personal level, but on a professional level, it's a tool. I, I have to I have to work with Facebook. Uh, there's no other way around, and it feels like it's the same with these concepts and these algorithms. And and people should not isolate one symbol. I, I always go back to this ring brain is the symbol of. Uh, machine learning at Google. No, no, they all work together and, and one alone does not make any sense without the other. It's a complete mix and it's really moving very fast forward. Do you have one last word of... Uh, uh, I, I was going to say, uh, suggest uh, the wise, yeah. <laughs> one wise... Uh, <laughs> Uh, what, 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 if, if you had somebody in front of you who is a little bit confused, well, maybe it's not the right question to ask at the end, but the, um, I always tell them, focus on the output. Um, don't focus on, uh, leave it to Bill to understand. <laughs> focus on what does it want to achieve. And if you do that, uh, you should be fine. So when I'm looking at a patent, when I'm looking at a paper, and I'm trying to understand it better, I'll stop looking at what it's discussing, what it's talking about, and start looking at the people who wrote it. See what else they've written, what else, what other patents they've uh, written, what they're writing on Twitter, what their different possession, pos positions have been at the search engine on LinkedIn, and, and get a sense of who they are as people, what they're interested in what they grew up learning, what influenced them. When I think about Google, I, I remember its roots as a search engine. When I look at a place like Yahoo, it was a portal first. Mm. It, it had a bunch of uh, uh, social type things like uh, Yahoo personals, Yahoo photographs, Yahoo. It's people's uh, homepage. Yeah. It was, it was, a, it was a, a portal type thing. Mm. It, its purpose, and it developed into a search engine. It 
did things, but it did things differently than Google did. And I try to understand the DNA behind them. Same mm. thing with Bing. Mm. Bing has a slightly different youth, uh, adolescence, and, and grew into something that in many ways emulates and imitates what Google does, but they have their own approaches, their own partnerships with other companies. They're much closer affiliated to Facebook than Google has ever been. Of course. Mm -hmm. And that sort of influences them too. Mm -hmm. uh, so understanding people and understanding the companies better, I think makes a difference. Because those people have an experience, have a goal, have values, have, have culture, have, uh, yeah. they want to do something, they want to achieve something. And we don't need to be engineers. We are not engineers, <laughs> but we can still understand Google algorithms. Granted, it's not, those algorithms are not like really high level, like nuclear physics type of type of algorithms. But still, it's. Uh, I'm not reading uh, theory of special and general relativity here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're we're. I read a patent. It usually starts out. There is a formula, and it it's usually in the beginning they talk about a specific problem they're trying to solve with the patents, what the state of the art is, how people tried to solve it in the past, and then mm. the new approach that they developed in the patents that solves that problem. And a lot of the patents talk about uh, assumptions that the inventors have about the web, about search, about search engines, about searchers. And those things are interesting, interesting taking note of too. Feels like it's the biggest secret behind SEO by the sea. Because we spoke about this before. Yeah. What we learn from scientific papers or by profiling the author, I wouldn't say it's more important, but it plays a huge part uh, because the format of the patent and the way uh, the limitations of, of the patent uh, doesn't, al doesn't allow uh, so much expression as. Uh, a scientific paper, which also has its, its drawbacks <laughs> to understand. We spoke about it, how every single scientist tried to, <laughs> to express, uh, like create its own language, feels like. But it's a complete picture. And people see you posting the patent and they read the summary. Well, first of all, I like you very much, Bill, but I never take anything for granted. And... Yes, yeah, sure. You summarize it very well. I will, like you, sh you show me doing it. I was like, okay, who are those inventors? Who are those guys? Those names? I'm not used to see them. I'm gonna check them out. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna look them up. And uh, the work they did, the overall picture in a world where everything is black and white and there's no shades of gray anymore, especially in the world of search, the lesson of the day is that. It's just shades of gray here, no, uh, no black and white. Yeah, I think we can end it on this note, right? <laughs> I think so, yeah. Yeah. So, nuance, guys. It's all about nuance. <laughs> Thank you for coming back onto uh, the podcast. And uh, I cut you for 
another series. So <laughs> we'll see a lot of beer coming up. Thank, Thank you for you. watching. Bye-bye. Bye now. Thanks.